So in movie news, Mm -hmm. uh, I think we should each list our favorite rumor about the Avengers Endgame. Uh, My favorite rumor is the one that you told me. What, What was that? Well, you should do it. It's yours. Well, that's not my favorite, though. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's that's my favorite. Uh, my favorite at this point, and I, I put together one of my own, even looking at the solicits the other day, but I don't I don't actually know. Um, but my favorite is the idea that Namor is going to show up, just because mm-hmm. that's a, a corner of Marvel's comics that hasn't been put in the movies at all, and I think that there's a lot of room for that. I think it would be very good. Well, I it's also he's a Fantastic think... Four bad guy, right? Yeah, but he also is before that. He's one of the first three Marvel characters ever. Oh. Namor, the Torch, and uh, Captain America are the original. So three they just Marvel haven't characters. bothered with him, or or there's some weird rights thing. But I would say can... that based on the success of Aquaman and how well that did overseas and with right. all the water stuff, um, it makes sense that they would be like, "Oh shit, we should put an Aquaman equivalent in this movie." It's a watery man. A watery man. <laughs> a, wa- a fluid man. My favorite rumor is that Ant Man is going to fly up inside of Thanos's anus and expand and kill him. Whoa! Where did you hear that? Just, uh, just you know, around. Wow, that is good. So Detective Comics number one was written by everybody. I want Galactus and Silver Surfer in the movie. Um, Did I say Galactus? No. You said Thanos. You said it all right. I get them all confused. Yeah. Pant Man and, and Captain Blue. Welcome to a perfectly acceptable (laughs) podcast by The Comics Place in Bellingham, Washington, where every week we get a bunch of comics from UPS. Jeff high-fives Jana. Uh, Then we take them back to our store home and sort them. Then we give them to our favorite customers. We give them to all of them. All of our customers, sure. Sure, yeah. Whoever wants comics, come and get them. Hey, everybody. Come and get them. Then we read a bunch of comics, and then we congregate here in the under... Under Thunder of the City, and talk about comics. The Under Thunder. The Under Thunder. Bellingham's undercarriage. Uh, this week, oh, well, we talk about the comics, the ins and outs of our lives, and the ups and downs of our perfectly acceptables. Episode 125. This week, we're going to talk about Batman Detective Comics number 1000. It's 96 pages of comic. Yeah, so everybody, that one counts for four and a half issues. <laughs> Uh, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, number one. Bad Luck Chuck, number one. Transformers, number one, two. Yeah. I think we're going to get a Jeff, Jeffy Figley one-two punch. Ba-boom. Uh, Daredevil, number three. Dial H for murder. Dial H for hero. Dial M for murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should have seen his eyes when he said that. Dial H for murder. <laughs> Most foul. <laughs> number one. And Heroes in Crisis, number seven. Uh, this week, our spoilers are sponsored by... We actually did away with spoilers. We'll spoil something. We're going to spoil I'm going to spoil stuff. something. For sure, but but <laughs> we're, but we're everybody, we are working hard 
Well, no, no part of this is actually hard work, but um, <laughs> we're putting an effort in to not spoil stuff so that people don't need to to worry about that. It's a it's a thing where you can you know get on board and yeah. and sort of sit by the fire, have a cocoa. It's a good jumping on point every time, every time, like your mother's bed. But it's going a little too fast to be a jumping off point for sure. That's because we're quick. So uh, not having major spoilers, our minor spoilers are sponsored this week. Bye. I thought I had a good joke. I got nothing. Um, um, Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's, where you can get a sandwich that fits inside of a man. 16 inches of sandwich. I watched him eat a whole 16 inches right before uh, we started recording this, and I just bite my nails and make my fingers bleed. That's what I do. I just, that's my... I'm Jeff, and I just bite my finger fingers and, and, and watch. I'm gonna. Hey, I'm um, Jeff, and I'm gonna make. Uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna be a little bit more stern with my greeting this week. I'm Django, and I'm sleepy. That sandwich is giving me the sleeps. Yeah, I don't eat. I, it's like kind of like swimming. I don't eat for an hour before I do a podcast. Oh, that means you get an hour nap before a podcast mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. I wake up sleepy, and then I come out of it not stinking thinking. Uh, I've been drinking a lot of coffee lately. That looks like a can of coffee you got in your hands. Can of coffee right here. Yeah, thanks, Elysian, for the can of coffee. Oh yeah, that's true. No, I'm gonna be. Hey, listen, I'm gonna. <laughs> I love. I love comics. I work hard to see the good in the comics, but I also sort of don't super openly talk about when I don't. I don't know if I don't love a thing. I assume I'm the problem. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna. My scores are gonna be a little bit more subjective and not so trying to be uh, broadly objective. My scores probably won't change because um, I, I don't really read comics that I – I can't finish a comic that I would give less than a four. That's like, the, I agree. Sorry. I don't if, have anything to say about it. Yeah, if I don't talk about it, you don't hear – like yeah. I, did, I didn't read it. Yeah. We talk about almost every comic I read every week. We yeah. talk about a lot of – and if I don't like a thing, I don't really <laughs> want to talk about it because I don't like being yeah. a negative. But let's get in the let, – hey. Let's get to our recurring news segment. Let's get in the news. Uh, we want to hit the the news soundboard audio file. <laughs> the news. Do, 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 oh, that do. one. News, news, news. Jonathan Hickman <clears throat> is going to be writing two X-Men books starting in July. Sounds like they will each be coming out every two weeks but alternating. So for 12 issues, we're going to get 12 weekly Hickman X-Men comics, House of X and Power of X, I think, are what they're yep. called. Yep. And do you think that uh, based on the ads that we've seen for them, that he's going to be playing with form and field in the subject of his comics, just like he plays with form and field in the page layout of his ads, which is just a white field with a small amount of text form on them? I, uh, I'm... I ooh, when I saw those ads, those full white page ads that just said like Hickman and there was a text, I was like, it looks a little bit like this is alluding to possibly being an X-Men book. And I was in my head hoping it wasn't going to be an X-Men book. But you know what? He gave you an X-Men book. But he's giving me two. Two of them. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't make sense for that to be one weekly series. You have to make it two different series that are coming out every other week. Because yeah. You know, otherwise, it would make sense. <laughs> and I haven't seen the press release where that publication stuff is actually talked about. I saw people talking about it, and that feels like maybe there's still some room for that to be incorrect. So I I don't know if it's, they're two monthly ones and they're coming out every two weeks or if they're – anyway, if it's going to be weekly. But after reading his statements about it, I am 
a pretty I'm much more excited than I was. Yeah. And and I'm not sure if you saw the interview where he was talking about like when he was a kid growing up, the only comic book for a huge portion of his life that he was reading were X Men comics. Okay. Like the John Byrne stuff and the Chris Claremont <clears throat> stuff. Oh, so um, he's going to use a lot of words when he writes it. <laughs> he generally do. He he seems like this is a thing that he knows a ton about and cares a ton about. I think one of the things that made his Fantastic Four run so good was that he read every issue of the Fantastic Four leading up to it. Yeah. It sounds like he's maybe already read every single X-Men issue and and probably loves it. That's pretty exciting. I'll read it. Yeah. I'll read it. I think I've read most of his uh, Marvel stuff as it was coming out mm-hmm. when I was – like from when I started working at the store. Mm-hmm. I kept up with it. I didn't always love it, but uh, I I never disliked the act of reading it. So Yeah, Justin brought up a really good point when I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm very pumped. And he he responded that, uh, well, you're not like the hugest Avengers comic book fan. And when Hickman was writing it, I mean, how much was that actually an Avengers comic? Right. So right. Hickman has the ability to make anything <clears throat> very, very good. So we're going to go through Detective Comics. We're going to try and pretty quickly talk about each of the 15 <clears throat> to 20 stories that are in here. <laughs> no, it, not that many. But there was probably 10 in here. So uh, we'll introduce the creators uh, between each one. But let's just kick it off at the beginning here. Oh, you mean Batman's Longest Case by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo? Yeah. That one was pretty good. I, I mean, spoilers. Every one of every single one of these was pretty, at least pretty good. But uh, this it, it basically just follows Batman solving this long form mystery. Yeah, so it's those two guys that did Batman together forever. I think I think it looks better than a lot of the Batman stuff they've done lately. I, I guess actually that first page is kind of didn't look very. I didn't like, I I had to double check the name. Yeah, but after that, it it kind of kicks into pretty solid art. But he just says, like, from one of his earliest cases, he saw this inconsistency in someone's home, and he tried to track down what that was about, and he's just continued that every clue has led to another clue. He's been solving it for years and years, and he finally goes to this room where he thinks that the climax of it is going to be there. And what does he find? Well, he finds finds the group that brought him there. The guild. The Guild, and you're gonna have to find out about the Guild in Detective One Thousand. Yeah, it's but it's a it's a pretty cool like basically a, a group comprised of Hawkman, the Question, Hawk Girl, Martian Manhunter, Elongated Man, the Monkey, Detective Chimp, and is that yep. Sue Dibney? I think so. Yeah, and then whoever that guy is. Yeah, I don't know who the guy is. I hope he's a Darwin Cook character. He just looks like Darwin Cook. He does. But I just love <laughs> oh, the Slam idea. Slam Bradley. Oh, okay. Who is yeah. that? Uh, it's, he's, his name is Slam Bradley. But who is that? Slam Bradley. Yeah, but in that issue that I want you to track down because you have all the issues, Solo number five at your house that oh, yeah. Darwin Cook wrote and drew. Is Slam Bradley in that? Yeah. Okay. Nice. I probably have it. I hope that you do, man. You're the guy with the issues. I desperately want to read it. It's like a $20 issue. I can't find it. Is it really? Yeah. We might have it in the Overstock down here. Did you look? No, I don't know how to find stuff in the Overstock. Alphabet, bitch. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I liked I liked the setup. Once again, Scott Snyder does not nail the landing for me. I, I didn't like the last five panels. I was like, oh, well, okay. I guess that's it. It wasn't... An ending. Like, I kept reading. I didn't see that. Django was like, it said end on it. And I was like, no. Oh, you're right. Because I just read into the <laughs> second story 
And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, we're at a different writer, different artist here. It, it was it was weird. That was my one mm-hmm. complaint about this issue is that that transition wasn't super, super clear to me. What well, do you give that one? Uh, that first one? Yeah. Tell you what, for this whole issue of Detective, I'm not going to use the number seven. I'm not going to either. To eight. Uh, I give it a six. No sevens and 7.5s, is that right? Right. Okay. Right. Um, I'm going to give this one a 6.5. Yes. I really do like the idea of a long mystery that someone's solving. Yeah, I like the setup a lot, but it's that, it's that ending. Scott, yeah. Scott just can't. He doesn't stop when he should, I think. Yeah. Um, the next one that Jeff thought was part of that one is uh, <laughs> Kevin Smith writing it with Jim Lee on pencils. And Jim Lee's art has elements of Capullo in it, I feel like, or vice versa. Maybe, I guess but. it's probably vice versa. Capullo was a... McFarlane acolyte. Mm-hmm. Like he took over, he take over Spawn, Spawn and yeah. then he did a bunch of the Sam and Twitch books maybe. Mm-hmm. Like I he was, it. he was just like super grotesque faces. Like his art looked a whole lot like McFarlane for a long time. I, I, I do like his art, but I don't like his inker these days. Jonathan Glapion. Yeah. Uh, it and simplifies it a lot. Yeah. And that, Inker did some work in a book just like a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I can't remember what it was, but like you could just tell when he inks it, it all looks like Capullo, but not like good Capullo. Anyway, this next one. He's got Batman buying uh, his his uh, parents' murder weapon from a guy, and it's kind of intercut with him fighting people. And it it took me about halfway through this story to figure out where it was going, and I really enjoyed kind of the the payoff and how sort of subtle the setup was. Like I didn't realize that I was kind of supposed to be solving a mystery in a lot of these stories until until I was partway through this one. I was like, okay, I think I think that this is putting me in the detective seat rather than Batman. Uh this one yeah, he he kind of infiltrates this underground <clears throat> arms dealer who has a bunch of weird criminal things. There's Kite Man's kite up there, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool to include since that... Was Kite Man around before Tom King? I don't know, man. Okay. I'm not sure if that's his character or if he's just sort of bonded to him. He's got the Joker's hammer from the um, power... Was it the the superpower toys? Oh, it's a right? super messed up toy. Yeah. But in the whole thing, Batman keeps getting fucked up in the chest and wounded in the chest and uh, at the end we realize what he's done is he'd melted down that gun and made it the enforced plate underneath the bat signal on his chest Mm -hmm. and he has uh, so the metal that broke my heart as a child that same metal will protect my heart as a man and that is justice like that's uh, almost a little corny but yeah but like then then you read Kevin Smith as the writer on that last page you're like okay yeah, this was real good. Yeah, it was. I I like I like his Batman writing. Uh, I gave that one. I give that one an eight. I give that one an eight and a half. I liked it a lot. What happened in this next one? The this one's written and drawn by Paul Dini and artist by or Dustin Nguyen. These two did like the Streets of Gotham miniseries together for a while. That I was reading as I was kind of getting back into comics as an adult. This was another one that is kind of a mystery. Uh, that. I don't know. The, the interviews and stuff kind of turned me off just the way the story was structured. But um, by the end, I was like, oh, of course, that's the like 
that's what's going on here. It, it kind of follows this super unlucky um, sort of, well, I guess he's lucky because he keeps surviving, but just this kind of dipshitty henchman. henchman who everybody, all these villains tell the story that of how they are sure that he's out of the picture and he just can't seem to die. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was really cute and uh, a little groany at the very end, but... I yeah. liked it. I liked it. I did. I did like it. Uh, give it a six and a half. I would go six and a half as well. <clears throat> yeah. um, just a good bat family thing. Good yeah. little bat family story. Yeah. This next one was written by Warren Ellis with art by Becky Cloonan. This one, to me, was the the first. I the art in it is great. I love the Becky Cloonan art. I, I haven't really seen like her. her do much Batman. Yeah, I think I she's done some Batman black and white. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like her writing, um, right? Yep, she did that Punisher run that yeah. you were digging. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of the art is good. Some of it's kind of falls flat for me, but uh, the story for being Warren Ellis, which is one of my favorite guys, was eh. yeah. Yeah, it. So I really liked this book as a whole. The whole book, I, I think that. Even when the story wasn't amazing in a short, the art was really good. Yeah. This was one that I totally feel the same. I was really surprised that the arc of this little several-page story didn't make a ton of sense. And then the, like, kind of climax scene where Batman basically talks this criminal out of shooting him or blowing himself up. It almost felt like a an issue of Moon Knight. Yeah. Remember when he was writing Moon Knight just to kind of practice his action scenes? What did Cemetery Beach give you any closure? I haven't read the last issue. Okay, yet. I I've been wanting to ask you that for since it came out a couple of weeks ago because you had just read all of them and you're like this one long chase and I'm like, well, what happened at the end of that book? Yeah, so far it's been just just like one action sequence. It's been good action, but, but yeah, it, it feels like that's maybe what he's into doing right now, and that's. Yeah. That's fine. Not everything you write can be transmetropolitan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The next one is written by Denny O'Neill and art by Steve Epting and Gata. Everyone should always include the colorist, but we don't. But this one, Elizabeth Breitweiser. It's Uh, a really good example of how much the colors matter in a comic. Yeah. And how like, you know, that first page, I was like, that. That is a Elizabeth Brightweiser flesh tones, <laughs> and I looked down. I was like, "Yep, that's her." It was it was the second panel on the second page that told me that that's what was going on. No one d- quite draws skin like she does, or colors skin. Yeah, this is basically just an interaction between uh, Batman and Leslie Tompkins and some muggers. So I would, it's crazy, but I wouldn't have known who Leslie Tompkins was if we hadn't read that Detective Comics arc from the last couple yeah. of months where she died. Is this more in line with the age difference? That they they have because in that detective comics leading up to this, she was much younger. Yeah, this just looks like an old lady. Yeah, uh, I I wouldn't generally peg her as just an old lady. It would make sense that she would be that old because she was kind of old when his parents got killed. But and in this one, he kind of goes out and is beating the shit out of these kids who are about to mug he and her, and they're like, "That's not really Batman," and he's about to beat the shit out of them, and then. She yells, Bruce, no, which is very dangerous because there are other people around. Yeah. Don't give up the thing. And then the lady says, can't you see he's already hurt enough? Poor thing. And Batman says, you feel sorry for him. And she says, no, for you. And that's, that was a, what did you feel about that? I wanted like three more pages of it. Yeah. Like I, I wanted, I wanted to establish that a little bit better and, and 
Yeah. It it was it was good, but it didn't hit the way I wanted it to. Yeah, I that's really how I felt as well. I wanted to like, okay, I like that idea of you pitying Bruce, but yeah. let's play in that space you created a little bit. Like what what are the implications of that? All that said, I'd give this that one probably a seven and a half. You can't. You're right. Give it an eight. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give that one a six. <clears throat> Did you see these fingerprints and the coloring on uh, the sidewalk in the building? No. It's kind of cool. I never noticed that before. I'm going to break into Elizabeth Brightweiser's Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if that's a thing that she has phone. done in the past. No. Did that read, like, what era of Batman did Denny O'Neill do? Uh, Like, 70s. Okay. Um, Neil Adams stuff? Yeah. Did yeah. this feel, did it harken back to that era? Um, I don't know. For for me, it's the art that harkens back to eras mm-hmm. more than the writing. Mm-hmm. Unless you, like if Chris Claremont wrote something as dense as he used to, that would that would probably do it for me. But I don't, unless, unless I guess it's more plot than, uh, than character that I notice eras in the writing. In, that sense. in that particular story, I was very excited to read the Denny O'Neill writing in it just because I don't mm-hmm. – I haven't read much of that era and he doesn't write it much anymore. So I was like, OK, like let's see how much this feels like that era that I don't really know much about. This next story uh, is written by – Christopher Priest. Christopher Priest and then it's art by Neil Adams. Neil Adams doesn't do Batman art unless he's writing it nowadays. And when he writes anything, it's fucking nonsensical. Yeah. So I was really excited to read this one just to get some moderately grounded Neil Adams Batman art. And it is crazy that as influential as this artist is, nobody draws like Neil Adams. No. It's crazy. There's something so confidently his own style. Yeah. And it's not my favorite, but this is probably my favorite of his in a long time. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing that I really liked of his, Denny O'Neill probably wrote yeah. in, in that one where he's jumping over the oil slick, you know, that classic like oh, Batman yeah, crouch yeah, jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that. Um, but yeah, man, I've I've read a lot of his stuff since then. And mm, I don't think I like Christopher Priest's stories. Or I've never read one that I liked, but I also haven't read a ton of the stuff that people talk about. I haven't read his Black Panther, yeah, which that, would probably the be the one, one, yeah. one to start with. But all of his modern stuff is really jumpy and uh I don't know that it this one really bothered me because Batman had a um a device in his coffee cup so that he could uh record and scan a crime scene while he's talking to Gordon mm-hmm. as Bruce Wayne and he has to take it out of the coffee cup to download it like Bruce have you met Mr. Bluetooth? <laughs> Mr. Bluetooth. <laughs> this, yeah, I don't know. It's This is a weird, I, I not being able to do a 7 or a 7.5, I'm going to edge this one up to an 8. Just because I don't know how much I would want to read Neil Adams' art regularly or what, but it is really interesting to see his art. I I really do like it. And this page of him in the snow with this building here. Yeah. The architecture of that building, which is just sort of a background thing, mm-hmm. that to me is, you know, the sign of a very good artist <clears throat> that they can draw 
an incredible piece of architecture just in the background and they do it. Yeah. And they yeah. don't just decide to throw a couple buildings and a big, you know, flat colors. Like this is somebody who, I don't know, you can, the journeyman-ness of the work, you can see it in there. He's been doing this for his whole life. I'd give it a six and a half. Yeah. Because I had a really hard time following it. The story wasn't good. Yeah. <clears throat> but congratulations, uh, Neil Adams. You're still drawing. Yeah. And crazy as ever, but... Yeah, and, and that's sometimes if art is just so confidently unique to me, it, it raises the whole thing. Did you, uh, Jeff? Did you read the one by uh, Bendis? I sure did. With uh, who, who drew that? Alex Maleev. Alex Maleev. Yeah. Bendis writing Batman. He's been writing those Walmart stories that we haven't been able to get our hands on. Yep. Uh, he's been, he's been writing Batman in that. Having not read those, this was the first Bendis Batman that I've read, and. This was one of my two or three favorite ones mm-hmm. in the book. Me too, by far. I just it's it's set far in the future with Penguin telling Batman that he has always known who he is, and uh, kind of doing flashbacks to flesh that out. The art was awesome. Like his Penguin is gross and fucked up. And you, I don't know about you, but I wasn't really sure who he was talking to. I was like, is that Bruce? You don't really yeah. get confirmation on that till the end. Yeah, yeah, and I just I like having. I just like old man superheroes, you know? Me too, buddy. They're they're my guys. <laughs> I love the way he wrote Penguin to just sort of constantly go whip. Yeah. Like W-E-Y-P. Whip. And I don't know. There, I do know. Bendis has a voice, a strong voice for Penguin. I... I think, you know, Roman's always talked about, or he used to talk more about how Bendis kind of writes everybody with the same voice. And I, mm-hmm. I think that when he was dealing with, like, the Avengers and there was, like, 30 people in an issue, that was more common. I've always been really struck by how strong and unique each of his voices are. I feel like yeah. he's very good at kind of creating an internal personality for his, his mm-hmm. characters. And his <clears throat> DC books have really showcased that to me. And the, the Penguin here is is right on line with that. It's It's down to like everybody kind of writes how the penguin talks and how he's penguin like differently and, and to, there's a lot of wow yeah and and weird times the way that he just sort of as an affectation inserts web yeah it was really really well done i'd give that one a nine i would go nine as well the Maliv art is also very very good the wrap-up on it was a little confusing to me but it, that didn't hurt the whole story uh, Jeff Johns and Kelly Jones with Michelle Matson on colors did The Last Crime in Gotham. This one was really good. Kel- Kelly Jones doesn't always work for me. and uh, Right now he was working for Jeff Johns. I, I think that the colors on this really help it, help sell it. Yeah. That and, shot of the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And like the brightly colored birthday party. And it's basically just a story of... Uh, kind of Batman solving the Joker, right? Like, is he the son of the Joker? That's or the what? son of the Joker. Uh-huh. And and uh, he's dead and there's no more Joker at the end of this. And Batman unplugs the, the bat signal. Oh. Um, but then we realize that the whole thing has been framed. Like the very first panels are somebody lighting a birthday candle. And the last panels are Bruce blowing out the birthday candle and Alfred saying, I hope you made a wish. Happy birthday. And so the whole story of Bruce 
unplugging the bat signal because for him crime is over in Gotham is uh, just his wish. And I really like that idea. Yeah, this art was awesome. I didn't track that that well. Uh, and hearing you say that, I like this one a lot more. Yeah. It's Jeff Johns, so I should have known. But when you're trying to read a 96-page comic uh, in the hour and a half before you do a midnight release, uh, yeah. I, I did rush through it a little bit, so I didn't go back and do the reread. I did really like this. I loved Ace the Bat Hound was in it. Mm-hmm. And the Joker stuff was good, but I didn't really understand what happened. And now that you explain that, I... I do really like this. I one. would think that by the time Batman retires, he would have like fifteen more Robins and four more Bat Bat ladies around him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his Bat harem. <laughs> yeah, this next one, the president. Oh, what do you give that one? Oh, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, I'm gonna go six point five. I really like the art, and I do like it now that you mentioned it. But it, I, it wasn't super clear to me in reading it. And well, that it, makes my nine feel weird, but I'm going to give it a nine. It's we don't have this air, you know, a seven range. I, I, I probably would have given it more like a seven. Did I say six point five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, six point five. It's, it's super creepy, cool art, but that was what I appreciated it on at the end there. And I think that I would have, you know, it's it's, it is what it is. This next one, the precedent, written by James Tinian, Jimmy Tiv, as our very own Braden T. Smith has uh, amazingly coined him. With pencils by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. This was the one that I wanted to read the least. Yeah, it wasn't the one that I. Oh wait, that's a super short one. Yeah, this one didn't do anything for me. Yeah, it's basically just Batman talking to Alfred, getting Alfred to convince him that they should make Dick Grayson Robin, and and it was a nice little moment, but in Jimmy Tiv fashion, it was pretty wordy and. Uh, you know. Yeah, it was fine. I really like the art on the last page. Yeah, the final page is really, really great. I love th- that visual image of Batman swearing and Robin. Did you have you have you read those issues? Do you did of, you read when Batman signed Dick Grayson on? That's like that would have been way before your time. I don't really read Batman. Um, I don't. The visual image of them putting their sort of hands together with their hand up. In front of a single it's candle. A, it's a classic image. Yeah, and like Quietly did that cover with Dr. Hurt and Robin yeah. in the Batman and Robin run with Grant Morrison. I'm curious what that's referencing. I bet Roman would know if he were here. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like the the bottom part of that page looks a little bit like um, that Quietly cover. Yeah. Just like the detail in Batman and, and the, the weird lips. And then the uh, the upper part of that page looks a lot like Alan Davis, like Davis and Neary to me. Hmm. Um. Yeah, it's like two very different styles on that page. Yeah, it it was not bad at all, but um, I don't get super super excited to read Jimmy. Here's T. your I chance. Think. You can drop the one. What I I oh um one. I give that one a five. I give it a six. Yeah, it it was fine. I mean, you know, even with these. They're all good moments of Batman's life. They are. They are. This yeah. next one was definitely my favorite, so I'm going to tell you right ahead. It gave, uh, I give this one a 10. Yep. It was uh, Tom King with Tony Daniel and Joelle Jones on art. I. It was the least Joelle Jonesy of her art, um, which was interesting, but it's sort of interspliced between two moments, Bruce going to his parents' grave, and then also this moment of everybody in the Bat family 
having incredibly, and I said Jimmy TIV was wordy. This is wordy, but it, in a totally yeah. different way. But they're all, it's sort of this interpersonal. You remember in the Tom King Batman rung, the the moments where like all the Robins are meeting at the Burger Shack with, with Bruce or yeah. something. And, and the way that he writes those brothers interacting to me is is so good and priceless and, and wonderful. This is that scene with Everybody, like yeah. Stephanie Brown, Batgirl, Batwoman, Catwoman, uh, Cassandra <clears throat> Payne, everybody. And they're all waiting for Bruce to show up, and they don't really know why they're there. And then Bruce shows up, and very wordy, very self-indulgent. I all, like, it, was, it straddled the line of just like, Tom, rein it in. And then it had this payoff of like when you find out what they're there for. Wain it in. Uh, that was good. Um, it's just because Bruce wanted to get a family picture of everybody, including Ace the Bat Hound and Alfred. And there's just this great double page spread. The tragedy is that because of the spine of this book, you yeah. can't quite open it to like get the full effect of this art. But a Tony Daniels drawn shot of the entire Bat family and the way that Batman then sort of describes that, uh, you know, what he did is he found his truth. He spent his whole life feeling like he lost his family, but what that did was it actually created his family, and that was pretty heartwarming to me. I feel like this whole story is kind of an excuse for Tom King to get Tony Daniel to draw that picture. Yeah. Um, and then at some point, somebody said, dude, you forgot you forgot the signal, and they had to draw the signal into panels. The character? The character. Oh, like, Duke. Oh, we forgot... Well, Duke uh, has like a, a good like ver- vis- or dialogue thing in there. Yeah, I he's just so unutilized and forgotten, and they never did what it seemed like they were gonna do with him. So it, he's just been included because yeah. they said they were gonna do something with him. Yeah, he's got one line of dialogue. No one knows that. Yeah. Well, doesn't he also go on? There's like that little bit about like, like maybe it's because of this or no. Yeah, everyone knows this about me. No one knows that. He's kicking me out of the family for what I did. Oh, Why yeah, can't it be okay, about me? Why is everything about everything else? Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's. But that could have been Damien. Yeah. They like erased yeah. Damien and threw the signal in. For there. sure. Then we get a couple really gorgeous double page spreads of Batman art. This Amanda Connor one is weird. It's Batman and the ghost of his parents sort of looking like the Phantom Stranger up there. I didn't love that art page. They don't have pupils and it's weird. I, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, I think that it, it is close to being a really good piece of art. Yeah. If they had pupils and he didn't look so much like the Phantom Stranger. Yeah, or if like if Batman looked like – yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I generally like her drawings, but this one this one missed the mark for me. Mm. I, I don't necessarily love Amanda Connor. She tells good jokes with her drawings. Yeah. Like, okay. like when, her covers, I think, are really well-done gags. And then the final story is Tomasi and Monkey. And this is the most sort of bendis of the Action Comics 1000 issue, which is this sort of queuing into the next big story mm-hmm. for Detective Comics he's going to be telling. And the Monkey art in it is really gorgeous. It, it, that, was, that one made the least sense to me of any of them. Well, it's one of those stories that is no Can word Can we get balloons. a Tom Keen score for you? Uh, no, I'd give that one a nine. Mm. It's it's one of those stories that doesn't have any word balloons. It's just all like square boxes, and that really, the Tomasi one, yeah, yeah, it really bums me out when that happens. That's interesting. I didn't know that bothered you. Um, but it is also all that feels like there's hardly any words on these pages, 
but they feel like a bigger pain in the ass to read than yeah. the Tom King one, which Well, the Tom King one with. had that one single page that was all t- – it was just like a lo- tall vertical shot, but it was just all like this bop- – yeah, but it's it's different people talking. Yeah, it was bantery. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I got nervous looking at it because I was like, that's a lot of text and you're yeah. my favorite writer right now. But Yeah, uh, I would I would give the Tomasi one, geez, somewhere between a six and a half and an eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would give that one a six and a half. It, it, would, it did exactly what it needed to do and it didn't feel as much like celebrating the history of Batman like most of this felt it felt more like you know it lead up to this other thing which makes it all not quite feel timeless yeah but the other thing is a Batman like a robot Batman with a sword I think I mentioned this to you why the fuck would anybody have a sword if it doesn't shoot lasers or shoot swords or shoot guns or something out of it like (laughs) a sword that shoots guns yeah I yeah I don't know anything about the Arkham Knight character that was in there and he's too dumb to get a gun that's true so anyway, what do you give the whole book as a thing? I give the whole book an eight. Yeah. I don't know if that even, I, I don't know if you could average out the yeah. the stories and get that. But uh, yeah, I, I really like the package. I think it's a gorgeous comic. Um, they even they even did a, an approved by the authority of DC Entertainment hmm. on, the to, on the top of uh, Which means no dicks. Mine. Yeah. Uh, for the 1960s cover because they were parodying oh, different, different eras. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful package, and I think it's a, a fitting homage to the history of Batman. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go – it might seem high, but I'm going to go 8.5. There were stories in it that I didn't like as much, but there are eras of Batman that I don't like as much or I'm that interested to read. And it all felt like a celebration of the life of this character that means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I can't get away from my little nostalgia about that. I've been reading Batman since I was a teenager. I bet you've been reading them since you were a little kid, dude. Haven't you? Didn't you flip through Batman comics when you were a wee boy? I was trying to make a segue to Sabrina oh, the Teenage fuck. Witch, Jeffrey. Okay, you're, I was going to say that shitting on, shitting on my segue. Sorry, that here. was a good segue. It would have been. Oh, would have been. Although I don't know how I was going to get to that next part. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what I'll say is that as much as I love that Batman book. I would say this is probably tied for my favorite book of the week, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, number one by Kelly Thompson, art by Veronica Fish and Andy Fish. Man, I didn't think that this was going to be one of my favorite books of the week when I started reading it. Uh, I almost didn't read it at all, but you said that you liked it a whole lot. I haven't watched the TV show. I didn't really keep up with the previous series. I, I spot read it here and yeah, there because the, I, I like the idea of the it a whole lot. One. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, I uh, have talked about like boom books in the past. Not to like boom is, I think you know, kind of we're in love with that publisher right now, whether for their books, but also how they publish their books, and that's not a secret or anything. But they also a lot of their books can have a sort of tone that I've, I've mentioned not being super. A lot of it is sort of geared towards an age group where it's talking about high school and fitting in or uh, coming to terms with your personality or your identity and. I think that's all very good, but it's not necessarily a type of story I'm super into. So this one kind of is felt that. <laughs> it kind of is that, but it does it in a very different way to me. Like yeah. there was very funny stuff, 
the interactions I really enjoyed. I really liked her personality. She was inconsistent. She didn't seem super like ashamed of herself. She was nervous, right. but she also, it wasn't all about her nervousness preventing her from interacting with people. There's even these times where she like goes to school and she's like, man, my flirt game's really on point. And, like I, it didn't seem like people's lives being stunted by these things that are our problems, like, which I think is a lot of times like, I don't love a thing where our problems prevent us from being people. Yeah. This one, you know, it didn't put the problems in front of the person, which I feel like a lot of other books can. Yeah. It's a, a kind of a fine line to walk. Yeah. Because you are writing tropes almost exclusively when you're writing comics. And yeah. to, to put the character before the trope, I think, is really interesting when and that I, happens. I love high school stories. Like, I was talking about Meet the Skrulls last week, and yeah. I love, like, those, like, who's going to take who to prom and all that stuff. Dude, did you ever, did you ever watch Bring It On? Yeah. Did you ever watch Stick It? No. Oh. Uh, sequel? Uh, kind of. Oh. Did you ever see uh, Step Up to the Streets? No. That's a fucking movie right there. High school? Uh, yeah. Magic? No. Dancing. Cheerleaders. Yeah, no. Dancing. Rancho Carne High. Uh, different. Dancing in the rain on the streets at oh. night. I'm in. Yeah. Let's watch it. Me too. Anytime, buddy. All right. Let's pause this. <laughs> <laughs> so we just came back and watched Step Up to the Streets because we have that time in our day. Dude, that is my favorite kind of music and my favorite kind of dancing, and I wish it would start raining again. I, we, we could get that. Da- we could get a good sort of crumping crew. Yeah. Yeah, crump so, or death. This uh, so this book is put out intentionally to have a different tone than the Netflix series that came out. They were like, we're gonna do a just real good hail Satan show on Netflix, and then we're gonna do a show that can be for more of a teen or twenties audience. So mysterious. And this one, like Salem talks, and I loved the Salem cat stuff. Like I'm a real unabashed cat person. And the, like, couple pages we have of Salem talking to Serena almost did the whole thing for me. I have one complaint about the – actually, really just one complaint about the entire book. Yeah. It was the double-page spread that's not a double-page spread on page two and three. I agree. I had to stare at that and think, like, is this the same room? No, it's just a weird – Two angles of this room that are linked by a, a unified carpet in the middle. and But it's off by like a tiny, tiny amount. It wouldn't have taken much to make that one big picture. Yeah. Yeah, they could have. Except for maybe the room's not shaped that way. It know. It is strangely accurate to understanding where the shape of this room is, but also strange as the artist to tell it from this angle that is that similar. Yeah. But I agree that that struck me as well. Everything else about this issue I thought was real good. Yeah. I um, really liked the art. I love the characters. I yep. love the interactions. It, I really liked this book this week. It was a, a total different palate cleanser from everything else I had read. So I would give it an 8.5. I'd give it a 7.5. Are we still doing the, the sevens? No, we're not doing sevens or 7.5s today. We're taking a stand. I'll give it an eight. Nice. Here, listen. Um, you uh, are a bad boy. Yeah, I am. You're a uh, You're lucky boy. And it's uh, a shame Chuck's not here. I just chucked. Yup, Chuck. Uh, oh, God. Good segue. What do you got? Uh, uh, Bad Luck Chuck by Leela Gwen, Matthew Dow Smith, Kelly Fitzpatrick, and Frank Svetovic. Svetovic? Svetovic. 
Yeah. Uh, this follows a lady who has bad luck. Well, she, she kind of causes bad things to happen around her, and she's got a whole bunch of kind of charms and wards to make it so that the bad things that happen around her don't mess with her. They definitely mess with everybody else in her vicinity. Um, she's She, like, is kind of a, a bad luck charm for hire, and so she's hired by this mother of a girl who's been kind of abducted by a cult. And she goes to find the girl and just kind of ends up burning the tent down. And, you know, every, everything goes bad while she's hanging out at, at this uh, religious tent revival. And she rescues the daughter who says, hey, that's that's not actually what's going on. My mom's kind of a dick and she's trying to steal a bunch of my money. And uh, turns out that's probably true. But it's, it's just a – it's kind of an interesting way that they – Tell the story. There's a ton of different characters. It reminds me kind of stylistically of Stumptown or Jessica Jones. Kind of, uh, I don't know, like a little bit of Sean Brubaker or uh, Sean, Sean Phillips. I'm trying to think of who that art looks like to me. It almost looks kind of like like not as good John Paul Leone or something. Like the the – not like it's bad, but like the heavy inks and a lot of shadows, but mm-hmm. not like Darwin Cook or Jorge Fiorna's shadows, but it's all real square. It's almost yeah. like it's almost got like a Malieve look, but not as photo referency. Or like photo reference, but not photo traced. And I think he he like literally traces outlines sometimes. Yeah, it's cities for sure. Yeah. Um a little bit of Michael Lark in there. Yeah, it's it's definitely not I think this artist probably has a couple more years of doing comics, and then they're going to be just absolutely killer. Yeah. Uh, but this this story, you know, it's right up my alley. Uh, kind of hard-boiled. Uh, Dame walks into a detective's office, but the detective is a cursed girl who causes disasters and, and lights people on fire over and over. And one of the main antagonists is an insurance adjuster. It's kind of funny. Well, this is a good month to be putting a book out where uh, the bad guys and insurance adjusters since the IRS taxes are due and people are frustrated. Yeah, bro. Don't uh, fight the authority. Or do fight the authority. It sucks. IRS is the worst. Question authority. Think for yourself. Question authority. I'd give this this a six and a half. I I think it's worth reading if you're kind of a a hard-boiled fan. Um, not hard-boiled the comic, but hard-boiled detective story fan. What's your favorite type of egg? Uh, hey, did we both eat those eggs that one day? The HBEs? Yeah. Like three uh, and a half HBs years ago? That, yeah, at the last <laughs> store when I left warm HB, HBs that I brought for lunch but I forgot on my car for several hours. So just to be clear, you're asking me if I remember what I had for lunch three and a half years ago? Yeah. I did not eat those. I thought I, you were I, fucking crazy for eating them. Okay. I that was around the time that Django and I started sniffing around each other, <laughs> um, and he was I think it was free comic book day or something. It was, it was some like Huge forever day, sale day, <laughs> and I was like, I better bring lunch. I'm gonna bring myself a couple hard boiled eggs, some HBEs, and <laughs> I forgot them in my car. And I thought maybe that you also ate one. You're sure that you didn't? I'm not sure of anything, Jeff. That was a really really long time ago. I might have eaten one. I think maybe Just, well, Justin wouldn't have eaten the other no, one. No, I think you ate I might've, one. I might have. Roman probably did. No, I no? think that I think that you ate one, and I remember being like, "Man, this guy's down to fuck." 
Well, he's down to. He's, he's going to look me in the eyes while we both eat a, a maybe bad egg. Oh, you weren't looking people in the eyes as you ate food that far back. You were still a little <laughs> nervous, you know? It was adorable. Hey, uh, should we introduce the world to one of my rare talents? Can you give it to me? The other rare talent, the one oh. where I can do a transformer sound. Yeah, sorry. Um, robots in disguise. <laughs> I love when he does that because my first immediate thought is like that is a shitty impersonation of a transformer sound, and then you're a shitty impersonation. Well, but within a single second, like it's always <laughs> like that's my th- first thought, and then a fraction, like not just the next immediate thought is actually that's a better impersonation of that sound than I've ever heard anybody else do in my life. Oh, thanks, Jeff. So if anybody has a good impersonation of the sound that Transformers made back in the old cartoon show, you should call into our voicemail. Yep, at one six one nine. Six six three seven three three six. We know you're out there listening, guys. Just call us and say hi. We just we got this vo- voicemail line. We're paying for this voicemail line. Like, give us a give us an old school transformer sound, like I do. Yeah. Give us a modern Michael Bay Transformers transforming sound. <laughs> But yeah, give us a call or with your own review for a book or if you've got any questions, if you've got suggestions for things you want us to talk about or just criticisms on how we live our life. All of that is very good. Uh, we love hearing from people. I don't take criticism well, so be uh, gentle. I think he, takes, he takes it pretty well, actually. Not gentle. Careful. Oh. Um, okay, everybody. I wanted to talk about the first issue of this Transformers series from IDW uh, when it came out two weeks ago, but I forgot. I kind of forgot because, like we were talking about earlier, I didn't love it. And when I don't like a thing, I just try to forget about it. But this is written by Brian Ruckley with art by Angel Hernandez and Cache Whitman. Did you say Ruckley? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you know a Ruckley? No, I just never heard that last name before. Yeah. That's a short last name to have never heard before. Yeah, Ruckley. So this is issue number two. IDW has been putting out Transformers comics for a very long time. They used to be put out by Dreamwave, and then it was Dreamwave and IDW, and then IDW, and... I love the old Transformers stuff. I hate Michael Bay Transformers movies. I love that old cartoon show. I love the character designs, the way they sound, everything about it, the way they sound, um, the way they look, and then the way they sound. Oh, my God. It's like I'm watching the show. So when this was announced, that the the previous series just was had been coming up for too long. It had a really... Uh, Internally consistent, probably, continuity, but if you hadn't been reading reading all of it, it just didn't make sense and it wasn't a thing that I could jump in on. And there's all these different miniseries. It was put out in just the least reader-friendly way possible, I think. Yeah, I, I, there's no way I would know how to start Yeah, anywhere. In and that. yeah, two main series and a bunch of miniseries. You got Windblade? Yep. We do that's, have that, that. Like that's the extent <laughs> of my knowledge. <laughs> So this first issue came out, and it takes place sort of before the Transformers have come to Earth, and the political climate of Cybertron is just that, very political. No crimes have happened. It's it's sort of the golden age. It's, it's almost like borrowing from, like, the Cain and Abel, like, tracing the first crime that happened in Cybertron because this is sort of a perfect world. Because they finally got bored and had to figure out <laughs> what from, happened first. Bored from reading the first issue of this book. and uh, <laughs> But... Uh, then a Transformer is murdered. A huge portion of his, like, Optimus Prime is kind of a political leader. And then there's Megatron, who's sort of a, a political leader as well, who's kind of leading this party who wants to subvert the main political agenda of Cybertron. And I was just like, fuck, man, this is not why I'm reading a Transformers comic. 
Yeah, punch him up, guys. That first, Turn into a little gun. First issue I would have given about a four. Nobody even transformed in it. What? Um, well, why would they? They don't even know what cars look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And the, the art is not great. It's pretty blocky and flat and not a lot of detail. And the coloring is very digital. And it's somewhere between flat and basic and then very cartoony. So you know, it looks a lot like maybe a Nickelodeon cartoon show of the day. Of this today's day, not the old day. Mm. Um, but this second issue was actually quite a bit better. It was a little bit more... Um, Conversation, a little less action. That's a song lyric. But what happens is we're starting to develop some of this story and they watch this like crazy moon that's supposed to be gathering energon for the planet. And that it maybe looks like Unicron. Like maybe that's this thing will become Unicron. Mm. And we learned out that it was like built, the plans were made by this old Autobot who has since died. There was this amazing physicist, but it actually turns out that she was the the person who started this faction that Megatron is now kind of leading. So they're a, sort of a dissenting opinion. So I hope that what happens is this thing becomes Unicron. And the first issue was not good. I would have given it about a four. This one plants some seeds, follows up on some things that links this a little bit more towards what I love about Transformers. But there's still plenty of stuff that I do not like about Transformers in this comic book, which is sort of the inter-head-in-your-own-butt politics of Cybertron from way back in the day. But I do love when people call Optimus Prime Orion Pax. So, Do we know where Transformers started? Like the comic, like the cartoon or? No, like were Transformers like born out of a robot vagina or did somebody make them? Did they just They're from spontaneously the spark. spawn? So there's like this sort of god-like mm-hmm. planet core that is the spark that. I, it just I, like shits out Transformers? We could call use of Tanha and he would, you know, be able to tell us. But Yeah, I, I don't think, like asking him because I feel like a dipshit for not knowing well, I don't, things like that. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if the planet was created and it started sort of as a r- robotic thing itself started then producing other smaller robots. Clean out of me. The, yeah, yeah, what? I make you to clean me. <laughs> but, you know, they're here. <laughs> oh, that was very cute. You did a little sort of bird beak. So I, I bet that that's covered somewhere. Is uh, are is the AllSpark still making Transformers? The trans, uh, the AllSpark is sort of the infinite data field that you return to when you die. It's sort of like the white light energy that heaven is, or you know, it's. Are new transformers still being born? Yeah, and this actually okay. follows this transformer named Rubble, who's being trained by mm. Bumblebee, who they encounter the first murder on Cybertron, and. Do they call them R- Rubble and Bumblebee? His name's Rubble. Bumblebee is who's training him, and Bumblebee's. You know, classic Bumblebee. But he's named Bumblebee? Yeah. And I didn't know Bumblebee's got out to space. Yeah, that is actually that one, the complaint that you voiced with Sharky about yeah. like when a totally unrelated space culture sci-fi thing makes, uh, you know, references to the monoculture that is Earth. Uh, there's a lot of sort of rubble and Bumblebee and... Vulture droids. Earther words here. But anyway... Yeah, it's translated, you know. I would give this one a 5.5. I would give the last one a 4. And I'm just excited to be reading a Transformers book. Uh, you know, that's just, that's it. I, I want it to be better than it is, but I am optimistic, <laughs> optimistic <laughs> that it, it could become better, but it, it's it's chunking along right now. 
Did you, speaking of chunking along, yeah. did you read uh, Chunk Zdarsky's Daredevil <laughs> number three? <laughs> oh. With Marco Cicchetto on Arto? Hey, it is worth mentioning, everybody, that Django got, uh, as a gift, a commission done <laughs> by Chunk Zdarsky of Django. And it's Django as a, a penis head ejaculating on himself. It sure with, is. It's pretty good. We should hang <laughs> it in the store. We're not going to do that, but I'll uh, maybe we can attach it to this podcast. We can make it as the episode cover for sure. Listen, if you call in, we'll send you a high res scan of that picture. <laughs> You'll just have to settle on a, a bad res scan that he texts me that I put on here uh, in the meantime. <laughs> but it is a pretty hilarious picture. Good segue. This just follows uh, Daredevil after he's been shot by the cop. Somebody was telling us that they know who this cop is, right? Tom Walker was saying that he's pretty yeah. sure it's White Tiger. I proposed yeah. that to Roman, and he didn't seem convinced, but I don't really know anything about that character. But Roman said that he identified the names of the last two White Tigers. Of course he did. And uh, he was said the last one was a girl, which is true. I think they were even in like some Black Panther stuff or some Avengers stuff in okay. the last five years. Well, so this this cop from Chicago? Chicago! <laughs> he shot Daredevil at the end of the last issue, and in this issue he's uh, he's getting ready to take him in. I really like that while Daredevil's down on the ground, he mentions that uh, like his super senses let him see 360 degrees. So when he's not looking at you, for him, it's still like you're, he's facing you. So he can literally see out of the back of his head just as well as he can through the front of his head. Um, it's very the enemy's gate is down from Ender's Game, which is a reference I've brought up on the podcast, which is one of my favorite quotes in all of fiction ever, which is like if you're floating in the void of space and there is no relative up, down, or behind you or forward, you have to create your own subjective orientation in space. And he says that a lot of people assume that I see forward, but I'm just a, a radar beacon expanding in all directions at all times. Yeah. And yeah, like, so he's face down, but he's able to totally see this cop behind him and he totally gets the drop on him. And most of the issue is just Daredevil trying to get away and eventually getting caught. Um, and I thought that I... The way he gets out of this is awesome and we're not going to spoil that. Uh, yeah, he does get out of it. I thought he was caught. I did too. Like, I was like, all right, I guess Matt's going to jail. And, uh, like, one of the cops stops the other guy from taking his mask off. And it's like, they're going to get to the jail and they're going to take his fucking mask off. And a bunch of cops are going to know who he is. Like, hopefully it's the cops that are, that are into him. This was my other favorite comic of the week besides Sabrina. Batman mm -hmm. was amazing. Um, but this one just I – was, I was on the ride for this yeah. one. Like, I just – I didn't – I was not able to get my feet on the ground and feel like I knew where it was going or predict what was going. I don't know what's going to happen, and I was just along for the ride. And all of that is – like that feeling, I had that also, and that's rare for us in comics, yeah. I think, because we – you know, there's, we there's an them. outline for comics, and yeah. a lot of people follow it. So, yeah, super, super well done, and uh, I'm 100% in for the next issue, and I really like the next cover. Yeah, this is hearkening back to those Alex Maleev covers from the Bendis and Believe run yep. on Daredevil. It's one of my favorite things. But just all these, like, gothic black and gray covers with this stark red of his costume, like, standing out. Almost like sienkiewicz -y. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, almost like a little psychedelic. But the art in this is still Marco Cicchetto, and it's... And he's fucking killing it. Yeah, he's one of the 
my favorite artists in comics right now. His flow of motion, uh, his facial expression, the coloring itself. It's worth – I think I always check, but uh, I think that he – oh, Sonny Go Sonny is Go. doing color. So he doesn't do his own colors, but it's it's just doing – it's just great comic booking, and the way that this resolves and Daredevil gets out of it is really fantastic and troubling. And it's you know it's a great, great, great book. And if you're not reading it, it's only three issues in. We've got copies of it, or your local comic store, I'm sure, has copies. So I would encourage everyone to get on board for this because I think it's one of the best rides uh, in Marvel right now. I would uh, I'd give this a nine, and I would say thanks for drawing me as a dick, Chup. Dirk, oh, Dirk. buddy, you draw yourself as a dick every day. Oh, <laughs> that was the saddest Transformers sound I've ever heard. I want to go nine, nine point five. I forget what I would gave Sabrina, but I would do the, the same. But I want to say Sabrina and Daredevil both nine, nine point five. Really, really fun, good books. Um, getting more and more into those books that are just sort of candy like. Jeff. Yeah, bud. Did you ever dial H for hero? I dial H for murder. Oh, Wait, no. Whoa. What was it there? Uh, dial uh, dial ABC, F for fucking. D, yeah. Oh, buddy. Come on, that's a different podcast that we do. Where's my phone? Uh, <laughs> dial BJ for big juice. Banana juice. Oh, dusty banana. <laughs> um, it's not dusty. Oh, I was quoting a different podcast. <laughs> Yo, you got to talk about Dial H for Hero, written by Sam Humphreys with art by Joe Canones before this gets real off the tracks. Uh, I loved it. I did too. It's uh, Joe Canones' art is amazing. The colors in this are also really spectacular. His art's uh, amazing, and he's incredibly versatile. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, so uh, who, who colored it? It was uh, – oh. Did he color it? Artist and cover. Yeah. He yeah. did the whole thing. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so this follows a kid who works at his uncle's mayonnaise truck. I just thought of you. I, I laughed I out mayonnaise. loud at it. I don't like mayonnaise either, but I, I, it's such a ridiculous idea that there's a mayonnaise truck that's everything is mayonnaise and mayonnaise fries. Like I just thought that that's the, that's like the perfect type of gross for Django. And he's got to, yeah, he's got to clean the mayonnaise traps, and it's under the sink mm. and. I'm not afraid of a lot of things, but having like stuff come out of the U bend in plumbing onto my face just ugh, it happened? makes me feel so gross. No, but like I've had it land on my arm and that's awful. You just imagine it on my face and if it was mayonnaise. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, there's a mayo soup item on the menu and a mayo shake item. Oh god. Anyway, he go, the kid gets done doing his mayonnaise stuff and uh, ends up falling over, a, falling down a ravine trying to do a daredevil stunt, and I, his phone just appears. I love that somebody says as he's leaving work, you got anything in there that ain't mayo? And he says, try literally any other food truck, <laughs> yeah. which is like, yeah. But he falls down this ravine. And he grabs the, the this phone that just appears and uh, dials H, and he becomes... Uh, all these other people, not necessarily traditional heroes, but just people. Like I think Maxwell Lord is one of them from the Justice League. Uh, Lobo, Robin, Alfred, uh, Angel and the Ape. Um, they all feel the number four burning in their head 
and I don't really understand what happened. I sure but, don't. Uh, this kid turns into a super '90s superhero called Monster Truck, and uh, it's a terrible costume design, and the, all the text is overwrought and full of. It looks like, exactly like Liefeld, you know, Todd McFarlane, Pratt. Eric Larson. All of that 90s stuff that you've seen. It looks like all of the original image releases. And I don't know really what happens. He has like a five-page splash page adventure smashing up trucks and having, you know, fire blow out of his muffler armbands. And then he's in a car lot and in all kinds of trouble. And he escapes in the Mayo truck with this girl that he met earlier in the day. And then the phone rings and, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. My favorite part of the issue was that when he becomes the monster truck, whose character is described as, uh, the immortal truck triforce every thousand years, the earth needs a new eternal champion of trucking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as this happens, it's, it's, Obviously, that sounds dumb. It's supposed to sound dumb. But every single one of the pages that are these dumb splash pages, like he said, has like a box where Joe Quinones has signed it with his like a signature in all of them. And he doesn't do that on any of his other pages. And it's just a straight up reference to like in the 90s when the artists were just the celebrity of a comic book. The writing could be dog shit. And like the art was what was selling it all. Well, and he does each one as a different artist's signature too. So like one of them looks like uh, Joe Casada. Yep. I saw that. And the one's definitely Todd McFarlane. The, well, the yeah, the scroll that it's on is Todd McFarlane. Yeah, yeah it's... And I think the third one is Liefeld. Real good parody. It's just a great parody, and he doesn't sign any of his other pages, and it's it's just Because why so, would you? Right. Everyone knows. It's in the credit of the book. Yeah. But that idea of... I don't know. That's so meta to me. Yeah. It, it was... You know, that's comic book humor for people who read a lot of comic books, and... And then the regular art in the series is so different from that and is gorgeous and the coloring yeah. is is spectacular. I uh, love the, just the way the phone is colored when it's activated. It's got mm. like these white white and pink outlines. It really pops from the rest of it. And and he uses the colors as drawing a lot. Like the Mayo Madness truck. He didn't draw the logo on the side of it. He just colored the logo into the side mm, of the truck. Yeah, yeah. So it's not there's not black line distinguishing where color breaks should happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, I would give this a like an eight. Yeah, I I really appreciated the humor in it. I thought it was super meta. I really I dug all of it. There was something else I wanted to say that now I forget. You're welcome. I, I, I would give this an eight even if we could use seven and seven and a half. I hate this rule. <laughs> I would also go uh, for an eight. Man, I can't remember what the other thing I was going to say was, and I fucking am annoyed now. Was it how he's hanging out with the RZA at the end? Is that the RZA? No. Everyone should check this book out. It's good. It continues that Wonder Comics line that Bendis is sort of championing. Um, speaking of heroes. Yeah. Oh. Are you? Did you remember what you were going to say? Are we going to no, dial H to, for heroes in crisis? on it. That's great. Dial on. H we, for we, Heroes we, of Crisis. Yeah, we, we kind of over, great. We, no, we that overlap. Was very good. Dial H for Dial H for Hero. We did that one. No, no, no. Dial okay, H okay. for Heroes. In, what do you want from me? We both do it. 
What do you want from me? Dial H for Heroes in Crisis. crisis. Yeah. I was just saying I'm in crisis right now. (laughs) (laughs) Tom King, Clay Mann, uh, Tomomori has been doing some of it. I'm sorry. Actually, there's a lot of – several people did art in this one. we got to find the credits page because DC, love you though I do – your credits pages are either in the front or the back or the middle, and it's ridiculous. Um, Clayman, Travis Moore, and Jorge Fornes did the art. And I went through after finishing this issue and just sort of tracked down who was which page, and it all made a lot of sense. There, There's three stories being told in this issue. And I don't love Phil and Artist. This book has been good about coming out on time, and it's because Tom King in general is really good about when he needs a fill-in artist, writing things that are from a different tone or a different standpoint of the story to be from a different uh, artist. Yeah. And I, I, that really impresses me. Man. All right. Yeah. Should we start with what I liked about this? Yeah. The splash page that says Heroes in Crisis and Flowers. All of them have – all of those splash pages that he's been doing are just amazing. I read uh, on Twitter today that – they actually individually drew and then individually colored those. That's not like computer copy paste or any program that that colored those flowers. And that's an amazing amount of work to do. Yeah. Also, Jorge Fornes. So good. And Batgirl punching Blue Beetle. So that's the stuff that you liked. So you didn't like this very much? I had a hard time believing this issue. Mm-hmm. I, I think the characters are acting totally out of whack. Um. Yeah, I, I don't like that. They all seem like buddies, even when they're trying to kill each other. It kind of it it sort of. Harley seems to actually be trying to kill Booster, mm-hmm. but then at some point they just kind of like curl up and roll around on the ground together, talking, and that that didn't track for me. Um, I didn't understand what the point was of what Batgirl and Booster and Beetle were trying to do with Harley there and why, why Harley, why they suddenly feel safe around Harley when she puts the clutch in for just a second because she really just wants to kill everybody. I don't know. I don't know. I like I I want to like this a lot more than I do and this issue this issue kind of pissed me off. I really like the Batman Flash stuff though. I really like the Batman Flash stuff. Uh definitely not my favorite issue of the series, probably one of my least favorite. I think they did a good job balancing the art. I don't know exactly what's going on with this and I think that this was the end of this was somewhere between telling us what's going on and leading us into the moment right before we find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of, you know what, Django gave me a little bit of the blue balls. Yeah. I just was sort of like, um, okay, do I get that? Like, I don't know if I should just look at this and maybe I don't get it yet, but it is here. Or I don't actually think we have the information to know what's going on yet. Yeah. But there are, you know, two wallies and there's some time travel stuff going on. We don't know what's what's going on exactly. How is nine issues? So we're two yeah. issues from the end. Mm-hmm. Here's what I hope. Yeah. I hope that by the end we realize that we've had almost enough information to solve this ourselves mm-hmm. 
for more than half the story. And I hope that by the end we figure out why, like what is going on with Booster that he'll let Harley almost kill him and then just kind of lay there next to her hanging out. Depressive anxiety and self-loathing, which is I think the thing that is, I think that she stops because there is some internal dissonance within her that makes her feel like this is what she has to do but she realizes it's not what she has to do. And I think that with Booster, he's trying to solve this thing to prove he's innocent, but I think he kind of just gives up because he's like, I don't fucking even know if I am. Like, maybe I am crazy at this point. Like, And so he surrenders and, and allows her to kill him, but she doesn't. Like, I think that it's that that friction of fighting a thing or, you know, feeling pre- assigned to a role and then just kind of giving up was what both of those people's journeys felt like to me, like fighting a fear until you just give up. Like, she's like, I got to kill this guy to prove I'm not, you know, crazy. And she's like, ah, fuck it. Maybe I'm crazy. And he's like, I got to do this to prove I'm not crazy. And he's like, fuck it. Maybe I am crazy. Um, but I, I, I feel, I mean, that's, that's me creating a thing because I want to like this. That's better than I did. I just kind of got mad at it. I would give this one a 6.5, which is my lowest for the series. Yeah. Um, But I would say that if we were to look at the numbers of a nine-issue series, one that is particularly mysterious, seven of nine is going to be the low point for me because it's not quite having the information. It's like very connective. It's coming out of the body and starting the journey to the end. And and so, yeah, that's that's what this was for me. I would would agree. Give it a six, except for the Batman flash scenes, which I would give a nine. Those are so good. Yeah, and part of it, part of it's Fornes, but a lot of it is just the the writing where Flash is like running around trying to find um who's he trying to find? He's trying to find Booster? Booster? Is he trying to find Booster? I forget and exactly. Like but... he's he, like he comes back, he's he's not in Africa. He runs away. Not in Europe. Batman's like, dude, you could use the bat radio. He's like, I'm faster than the bat radio. Batman's well, like, I'm not sure that's technically true, <laughs> but I suppose under certain specifics, I could be wrong. Not in Australia. <laughs> which is just those three struggled panels of Batman, like, working hard to not just say, like, fuck you, I know the right answer. Like, yeah. that is the most generous Batman has ever done. Like, I've never heard Batman say, I could be wrong right. before, which is right. so good. Yeah, and the, like the panel work in this is also really good. Even even when I don't like what's going on or don't understand exactly what's going on, just the the timing and the acting and the whole thing is really, really well done. Uh, when, when Batgirl punches Ted Cord, that's great. Every one of those nine panel grids is great. The there's a whole page of just six panels of Booster having a conversation. Uh, there's a lot of emotion conveyed in uh, in each panel, and and you kind of get a really good sense of timing from it. So, yeah, the 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 Booster Harley thing is 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 interesting. Like it does feel like two people fighting the roles prescribed to them. And he's just sort of saying like, "Fine, fuck it. I failed the future. I failed everybody. I failed like." I know that my character is me sort of always not quite being a failure, even though I'm almost, but maybe I am totally a failure. And, and the conversation after that of him being like, 
hey, can I ask, what's the deal with the nursery rhyme? She's like, I don't know. You're supposed to talk to people, and I'm not good at that. It's the best I could do. Like, even that is somebody saying, like, I'm just in this role. Like, I don't understand why I'm in this role, and I'm in this role. And at some point, I want to fight this role and stop being this person because a role becomes an act. Sure. You know? and it, Sure. It's, I guess the, the thing that I thought of when I read that part with Booster where he's, he's talking about what a failure he is, is the Booster Gold miniseries. Which I have not came read. Came out a while ago. I don't know if it's still canon, but there was a really good part where he he saved all time, like oh. from the bottom up. And he's never allowed to was tell- Was it Vanishing Point? No. Well, Is that around maybe, the time that maybe Bruce vanishing... was back in time that they went to go find Bruce? Him and Rip Hunter? And... It's around the same time, but I, I think okay. it was in his series, not the- It wasn't part okay. of that that crossover. I was thinking like a six year issue mini. But there was, there was a thing where Booster saved the world and the universe and time. And like he unequivocally was the biggest hero that the DC universe has ever had. And for some time travel reason, he couldn't tell anybody about it. And he still had to act like a bumbling, greedy idiot. And that's my Booster and to have him actually feel like that with the knowledge that he's the entire reason that anybody's still alive seems a little And that story has always confused bummer. me because I know that story exists. And I've always been confused. Like, is he a bumbling idiot or is he pretending to be a bumbling idiot? That's that's probably kind of what the Did you read 52? Is it in 52? I'm pretty sure it was in his, his own series by, okay. s- was it Steve Orlando? I don't know. I don't doubt it. Uh, the other Orlando. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I need to read some Booster because I do love him and, and Blue Beetle together. Oh, yeah. They're amazing together. And if that didn't happen in this canon, that's okay. Yeah. And and this makes a lot more sense because the original Booster that was in the, uh, I guess not the original one, but the one that was in the Giffen Justice League is kind of a like a washed up, greedy, kind of egotistical butthole who will do anything for a buck. And uh, I like that guy a lot, too. And I can I can see a serious take on him feeling a lot like what we're getting in Heroes in Crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody, that does it for this week. We're going to go have a birthday party with Colette. Happy birthday, Colette. We happy, love you. Happy birthday. Um, and uh, gosh, we've only got a couple more episodes here in the Pap Cave. Ugh. The, I think three or four so we're going to enjoy that and then we're going to find some other place to be doing this the penthouse in the sky but until that time um, I hope that everybody is enjoying the podcast enjoying the music enjoying giving us phone calls uh, and voicemails and um, yeah until until next week which is only a couple days away from us for us because we have been juggling the days that we record this podcast for the last month and a half just it's, left and right just do whatever just, just do it in a week just Rocket. whenever you can and then once a week in the time Rocket. Rocket, I say. listen I'm I'm Django and uh, I'm just trying to keep Ant-Man out of my butthole and uh, I'm Jeff and we're Hey!